We are back for episode number six with Mr. Mike Andrews. I was introduced to Mr. Mike by a buddy of mine we featured a couple weeks back, Mr. Chris A.C. Wiley. Mr. Mike is super positive. He's got a ton of energy and he's immensely dedicated to accomplishing his goals. He's got some great stories about helping students overcome their personal limitations and growing as human beings. We had a great chat. I hope you enjoy it. Let's hear from Mr. Mike. Welcome everybody to the Artist of Motion podcast. On our show today, we have Shodai Soki Mike Andrews. Mr. Andrews is a member of several Hall of Fames. He holds Don Ranking in five different styles. He's authored a book called Staying in the Moment, a practical guide to women's self-defense, which is available on Amazon. Cheap plug, the link is in the podcast window. He also has a self-protection tool, which is available both on his website and on eBay, called the Mr. Mike Handspike. He prefers to be called Mr. Mike, and since I'm going to now turn it over to him, how are you, Mr. Mike? I'm great, Steve. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, the interest to talk to me today. I'm very honored. I'm excited to have you on the show. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, you know, interesting about, I, I guess it's uh, been coined for a while now. Uh, I, I prefer to have folks call me Mr. Mike. It's the name of my little self-protection weapon. And um, that came about from one of my earlier trainings uh, with a gentleman who was fantastic. And uh, he, he called himself Mr. Um, as opposed to master. And, uh, you know, there's some humility there, and it's tough for all of us. We have to work on that every day, but that's one of the things that keeps me in check, uh, having somebody saying, you know, hey, man, just call me Mr. Mike instead of Master Mike or Grandmaster or Shodai. I have the formal title. So in our style, obviously, everybody was, you know, Joe, Bob, or Sally. And when you got your black belt, you were Miss Ann or Mr. Joe or Mr. Mike. And so we really never used the term master, and I kept that with me all of these years just as a little bit of a background to stay humble. So I prefer Mr. Mike, and most everyone calls me Mr. Mike, <laughs> whether I be doing martial arts or not, walking down the street, most people know that. So it's an endearing term, and I, I appreciate it. So I also noticed here on your website, you've got uh, Shodai Soki, Mr. Mike, and then Taz. So where does Taz come from? Ah, Wow. Okay. So Taz is from the Tasmanian Devil. That uh, I I got that nickname to be honest with you when I was about 11 years old playing football. I wear corrective lenses now, contact lenses for you know probably 20 or 30 years, but I had glasses on, and I started to play football, and my glasses would get fogged up, or ice hockey, and I just started spinning around, and you know I would try to hit anybody that was in the vicinity. Didn't matter left or right, and I kind of spun around and got the name Taz, uh, the Tasmanian Devil, which was shortened to Tasmo, and Taz. And after having that nickname for almost forty something years, you end up with the largest collection of stuffed Tasmanian Devil um, <laughs> animals and shirts and all kinds of uh, different memorabilia. So uh, my license plates are all started with TAZ, and every time I, I get a vehicle, it's I add an A, so I'm on T-A-A-A-A-Z. My Harley was, had three A's. My, my car currently has four A's. So, again, another endearing term that I, you know, I've been with for many years. Right on. I had to ask because it was on the thing. We hadn't talked about it yet, so I had to ask. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so you have Don Ranking in several different styles. Tell us about your history of martial arts. Where did you get started and where are you at now and all that fun stuff? You, you can do the short version, the long sure. version. It's all your floor. Go ahead. Sure. Well, like a lot of people that I run across, whether they're coming from me to me for training, um, I was bullied. And it wasn't a classic story of, you know, hey, I was bullied and then got into martial arts and that was the end of it. 
I was bullied for a lot of years in grade school. I'd say maybe, you know, third grade up through seventh or eighth. Uh, my dad got me into football in eighth grade, which I guess you're 10 or 12, whatever, however old you are. That was probably the best thing. I wasn't any good, <clears throat> but I took some hits, but I stayed in there, and I, and I realized how much I enjoyed physical activity. Um, and then I ended up playing ice hockey, and I played ice hockey for years and years. But before that, my dad took me when I was about 10 to a class, and I did martial arts with my dad for a little while. And um, we ended up uh, – we, we, uh, I was raised Catholic. I went to our, uh, a Catholic grade school and a Catholic high school. And my sister is a musician. I'm a musician. And I know this sounds funny, but we would have the nuns over for dinner, and we would entertain them by – my sister playing the guitar or me playing the organ and I played the flute and, and it ended up where my dad and I got into our geese and ended up doing a martial art demonstration when I was 10 or 11 years old for the Catholic nun. Um, that had so to have been interesting. Did, yeah, it was. And we started, it was Tracy's karate in Feasterville. I'll never forget it. I, I did that for a short time. So I was in the martial arts, then out and then got back in. So I did that classic in and out for a few years where I always felt there was a void, whether it be a traditional, the Korean style, um, you know, this was great, but what about that? I was always the one that said, gee, well, I'm not learning this. There's a void in that. There's a hole. What happens if somebody comes at me this way? Or I just started to piece together as I was younger that I didn't think this was effective here or on the ground or stand up, and that's what got me to go into a multitude of martial arts, and I will tell you that where I really turned the corner was, um, I guess, in the 80s when I started in uh, Hon Hop Do, um, which is in Korean means blending of the arts, and I had a great instructor um, who was a real lean, tough guy and um, uh, a good-looking dude, and he was just uh, very talented, and uh, he was very fast, and it was um, a style that combined a lot of the Korean background that he had, but he added um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which was grappling, obviously, and he added some other components to that, um, so some stand-up, and I really liked that a lot. So here I had a Korean style, which is, you know, some hands, mostly feet, and then we got into some grappling, and long story short, um, as I progressed further, um, he ended up passing away. And uh, he had a lot of different black belts that were kind of recreational black belts that were lawyers and, um, um, you know, <laughs> lawyers and doctors and other people. And I was a uh, hardcore and stayed in it and taught uh, classes for him as a third stripe brown belt for a long time before getting promoted finally. And, um, <clears throat> and I got that promotion through a number of people that were collective as a group. And so the interesting part about that story is that I took over – the style, <clears throat> and I, I, I kept Hone Hop Do, but I rebranded it <clears throat> as my own style, which really is, it's a blending of the arts, and I added American boxing to it, and I added additional levels of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and I added Sanukas Jiu-Jitsu, which I studied under one of the best guys in the whole world that's still around. I still <clears throat> talk to him all the time under Dr. Moses Cal, and I added small circle uh, Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai, and all of those things. So, so the style that I have my, my current ranking as the seventh on is Hone Hop Do, but it's really from Safe Day Studies, Systems of Combative Arts. 
Um, and one of the Sunukis instructors kind of helped me name that, and it was wonderful. So I teach that actively every day. Um, it is uh, Safe Day Studio, Hone Hub Dose, Systems of Combative Arts, uh, Reality-Based Combatives. And um, that's currently where I am. And then I have an uh, honorary uh, seventh son in uh, Shinzentai Kokusai from the famous Hanbu Dojo in Waco, Texas. And I, I go down there yearly and uh, do seminars for those guys. And have a fourth in Shorinru from uh, New World Martial Arts in Canada. Um, uh, so, uh, Soke Mike Bissonette, the largest, uh, I guess, martial arts group in Canada. Uh, train with them whenever I see them multiple times a year. And um, a third in, uh, Hon in uh, Okinawan Karate and uh, Universal Kempo. And I have a great, a great instructor there that's been with me for a lot of years. So, uh, you know, that's, that's where I currently am. And I teach... Uh, uh, private pri private classes uh, every day, every other day in my uh, home dojo. Right on. And along with everything else that you've done there, you also spend quite a bit of your time working with, uh, looks like, causes for the needy, basically. You've got the Girl Scouts of America in there. Uh, you've got you know the w Christian Women's Club in there, the Chamber of Commerce in, Commerce in there. Tell us a little bit about that, the stuff that you do for organizations that help other people. Sure, sure. So, you know, this is probably the most rewarding part of it, I guess for about 20 years now, I've gone and I've spoken to women's groups or any other, I do public and private seminars. And I was uh, the one that put together the, uh, the Girl Scout Merit Badge for self-defense, worked with a group there. And I did a, started a program called the Teen, teen Safety Techniques. So I did uh, the Holland Middle School, went in and um, you taught them and uh, women's groups and the Red Hats and you name it, and when did some training with the, the guardian angels. You know, when I see them, I, I, I share techniques with them, and um, uh, Curtis is a good friend of mine, and uh, they're all wonderful people, so I try to give back. So I've done a lot of work with those groups, and um, <clears throat> I have to tell you this story. I guess we didn't talk about it where Please do. a few years back I was at an event, and I was uh, doing a seminar, and I was up on stage, though, and it was like uh, Zumba and all these different things, and I was doing Mr. Mike, you know, hone hop go, and showing people, you know, how to stay in shape and just boxing and just different moves. And I, I ran into this young lady in a wheelchair, and I bumped her wheelchair pretty hard. And she said, hey, man, watch what you're doing. And I looked down, I grabbed her, I said, yeah, what are you going to do about it? You know, kidding around with her, you know, because I, I, I work a lot with different people. And she said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to tolerate it, you know, kidding around. And I said, fantastic. So I ended up striking up a conversation with her and her mother. And here, this young lady had been training for the Olympics. And she was in the back of her parents' van, uh, laying down on the seat, going home from wherever they were, with her back facing the front, and they were in an accident, and her, she broke her back and had a spinal cord injury and could not move her leg. Ouch. Um, so she was in a wheelchair for that. And I started to talk to her, and I just said, so tell me what's going on with you. And she said, well, I'm in high school. I'm going to be going to college, but... This is all BS. I'm getting, I'm talking to people, and when I'm in an elevator, they're telling me I should get out of the elevator because I'm a young female, not to ride up and down the elevator with anybody. And I said, wait a minute. You're telling me that when these people are telling you that you're going to wheel yourself into an elevator, get in, in your dorm room, and then you're on the third floor and some guy gets in, you're going to have to wheel yourself out, wait for the next elevator with no people in it. And she said, yes. And she said, that's ridiculous. And I said, not only is it ridiculous, it's unacceptable. So here, here. I asked her mother for permission to work with her, and I spent a couple weeks going down to the carousel house 
in Philadelphia where they cater and support young people or whoever that are fighting the battle of spina bifida every day. So a lot of them are, they have walkers or in wheelchairs. And I went down and interviewed these young ladies, happened to be four young ladies, on and off for a couple of weeks. And I put together a self-defense seminar called Rolling with Safe Day, which is my studio, Safe Day Studio. And I always say to everybody, have a safe day, right? So put that program together and I went down and I'm not kidding you. They strapped me, my legs to a wheelchair. I had a guy come from the back, from the front. And not only did I just try to show them self-defense techniques to where they could gain confidence, I actually researched it very heavily and talked about the caregivers. So you have a bag with you that has all your stuff in it. Why have that hanging over the back of your chair where you can't get to it, but your care cab, your caretaker can, like your wallet or your phone, have it on the side or in the front of you. And I got so in-depth that I freaked a lot of people out, and I started to research and talk to people and said, if you have a caregiver or you're whoever is taking care of you or your family, you should move all of your items that are valuable that you need to have access to the, the first floor. Because you don't know what that caregiver is doing when they're going up on the second floor, not to say that they all do it or whatever, rifling through your drawers or you not having access. So I kind of spun it on its head there a little bit and did this program and a couple people noticed and I really enjoyed that. And I had worked with some uh, blind people that was very fulfilling. And then I have a autistic student who is going to be coming up on like 23 years. And I will tell you this, uh, you know, not to be funny about it, but for the first 17 years, she didn't make eye contact with me. If you're familiar with the spectrum in autism, you get a quick glance, but nothing serious. And then I, uh, my techniques are really, and it's not, it, it's not me doing it. I'm working through a higher power. I can tell you that I'm just a conduit that, you know, I treat people with autism like, like they want to be treated like they're normal, right? Because they yeah, want to be My brother-in-law's on the spectrum. Right, so they want to be normal. So I treat this young lady like she's normal, and I yell at her and tell her I'm going to take her belt away. And let me tell you something. She's had a lot of different doctors and therapists that have worked with her for a lot of years. And, you know, she's done okay. But some of the things I was doing, we were having major breakthroughs. And I will tell you that I'm in the middle of authoring a book about her and, and our sessions together uh, called Life Lessons, that every time I – I don't want to get emotional, but every time I finished a lesson with her – I will tell you that I got as much, if not more, from it uh, as she did, which is, you know, how to treat people better, how to be more compassionate, how to be humble, um, how to be creative, um, you know, patience, all these different things. And I, you know, and, and I would be, uh, you know, stern with her. And I would tell her that there were consequences if she didn't do this or she acted out like I was going to take her belt away. And, uh you know, there were situations where I said, you know, you're not allowed to have a, a tantrum on Mondays and Wednesdays. And, uh, I had a call from one of her house people that said, you know, she was going to start to act out. And, and uh, you know, I told her it was Wednesday. And Mr. Mike said, you're not allowed to act out. And she revved back down again and didn't have a tantrum. I mean, that's you know, awesome. that's, not that's not written in any book anywhere. And, and I'm not taking credit for it. But I just thought outside the box, <clears throat> I got her to have eye contact with me, and while we locked eyes and we were talking, I had tears running down my cheeks, and I was calling her mother, who is a very well-known psychologist that works with a lot of different people, and her and I were crying on the phone, and it was a 
probably one of the most special moments. And since then, um, she makes eye contact with people, you know, and just I've got goosebumps right now listening to this story. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing <laughs> this story. She lived in her house upstairs in a room and wanted to get out. And, you know, she was getting older. She was a teenager. She uh, then had her parents. They moved her into the basement, made a little apartment. And, you know, and I kept training her and training her. And, you know, like, Lisa, you know, you, you could do your own thing. And she ended up saying, I don't want to live here anymore. So she testified in front of Congress. She went and now she lives in a house with other women on, on her own, you know, with some help from some uh, for some professional staff. But she's not at home. And, um you know, she's 33, 34 now, and uh, she's just done incredible. She's really a motivation for me, and uh, I have um, multiple, multiple videos of her that I'm going to add a CD in the book so that the book is really not for controversy. The book is for people that have autistic children or adults, and they can look at this and maybe see uh, the way I treated them or what I did or different drills, and maybe they could use that to inspire them or change their behavior for the better to give them more hope or to be more normal. And I've got a young lady that I'm training right now, and our mantra is, I want to be happy, I want to be normal. And she trains with me every other week, and, uh, you know, they bought her a little thing for her room that says happy. So when she wakes up in the morning now, she sees that and says, I want to be happy, I want to be normal. And you know, if you say you want to be normal and you want to be happy, you, you are and you will be. And we address things head on. So those are the kind of things that uh, that I really, really enjoy. And uh, every now and then I get blessed with somebody calls me up and says, Mr. Mike, we heard about the great work that you're doing. And we would like you to, uh, you know, work with our child or whatever. And I say, absolutely. So it's the most rewarding thing for me on the planet um, is is really giving back and like i said I, you know god is it's all about god on that one i'm just kind of the intermediary things just come to me and, and i just kind of they come to me when they come to me during the session and i do meditation and all different kinds of things so that's that's a very important part of my training uh and i i love that part that was a absolutely beautiful story mike uh, thank you so much for sharing that with us I'm looking forward to seeing that book, but you also have another book that's out right now. Would you tell us about that book? Sure, I would be happy to. Uh, 2014, I wrote a little baby book called Staying in the Moment of Practical Guides to Women's Self-Defense. And here's the reason why. My daughter is 21, and when she was born, uh, I was a martial artist, and I said I'm going to do something impactful in honor of her. And I've been teaching women self-defense. I researched it. And as opposed to others who maybe just come up with something and they write a book or they share something on Facebook, of course, we all know you see a lot of techniques and you go, oh, my gosh, that, that might get you killed. Um, I actually did a lot, a lot of research. And just like my style, Hone Hob Do is just like Bruce Lee, Lee said or, and, and a lot of other people, take what you want, don't take what you don't want. That's what I did. I took all of the things that worked for me, that were street street um, uh, uh, technique uh, proven, right? Street proven. You know, if you're against the wall, try this. Well, that doesn't work. Try this. So I'm big on experimentation over and over again. And God bless my ookies over the years where they didn't know what was coming. It was just something different. Well, what about this? What about that? So I hopefully have the reputation that I've refined 
some techniques that were taught to me. I didn't make anything up, but I just tweaked it. So in the book, it's called Staying in the Moment, A Practical Guide to Women's Self-Defense. Uh, wrote it in 2014. It's 57 pages. It's little. You can read it on an airplane. You can probably look through it in one night. It's got 175 pictures, and it's, it's, they're very easy to read and how the techniques are with good, clear pictures. And at the end of every chapter, there are tips. Uh, you know, don't wear a ponytail when you're outside because a ponytail is not a ponytail. It's a handle. Um, and an updo, and I don't mean sprayed and pinned like a prom, is harder to grab. I'm just talking about a little updo with a, 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 a scrunchie because somebody pulls that, it's going to come apart. So I talk about hairstyles, clothing, putting a pashmine on, covering up a woman's chest, a woman's legs with a short skirt on public transportation. Don't become a victim. You know, um, uh, uh, self-awareness. Uh, I talk a lot of tips of bringing your car fob up to your bedroom because if something happens outside or you're unsafe, you can set your car alarm off up from your bedroom. People don't do that. They put their keys in a little dish next to the front door. And so you don't have an alarm system when you're up in the bedroom. And where do you charge your phone? And I have women raise their hand. I go, in the kitchen, right? And they go, yeah. And I go, nope. You know, charge your phone in your bedroom. Have multiple chargers. Charge it where you are. Mm -hmm. So I go on and on and on. So I kind of wrote it as a tribute to my daughter. Um, but since then, I will tell you that I have trained thousands of women. I mean, Seminar after seminar after seminar, I think one of my biggest was, you know, over 50 at a time. Um, so I do a lot of women's self-defense seminars uh, public uh, at a, uh, a, a public uh, center near my hometown. If I have enough women, I'll rent a community room or I do them at my home or I do them at their home. So um, I have a lot of tips in those books and I'm, I'm doing volume two right now. But I'll tell you real quick. What, what I think has got a lot of attention is the book has four chapters. The first chapter is an attack from the front, right? What do you do if somebody confronts you from the front? The second chapter is an attack from the back, somebody that you don't see that's trying to choke you or grab you in a barrel, a bear hug. And chapter three is how to prevent chokes, getting, getting choked out, right? You and I are both martial artists, right? I, you don't know me that well, but a lot of people do, and I love choking people out. You know, I mean, that's, uh, that ends stuff real quick when you can't breathe or you don't have any blood circulating in your body. That, that, that finishes up real quick. It's real difficult so, to fight that to way. To avoid that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I shut it down most of the time, and, uh, and I do it very quickly. Um, as Dr. Moses Powell said, once I have you, I have you. You can forget about it. And um, that's the way something that I learned from Sanukis is uh, – you know, it's destroy, right? It's destroy, destroy, break things, destroy the enemy, and lock them up. So all my techniques, by the way, uh, not to get off the book, are finishing techniques. I see somebody teaching, and they go, well, you know, you got this, and then the next thing is the guy's bending over. You go, well, he's bent over. So then he's going to stand up and punch in the face. All of my techniques are finishing techniques, finish, finish, finish. I try to finish everything so there, it eliminates uh, the threat. So... Uh, Attack from the front, attack from the back, choking, and then chapter four is just, I, I just said, you know what, I just need more tips, and it's all tips. So I have a tip sheet that I give out, and I talk about car invasion, home invasion, active shooter. A lot of times it's women are uh, uh, attacked in, uh, uh, by people they know, right? 70-something percent, it's only somebody they know. It could be a spouse or a boyfriend 
or an older man in the family. You know, you, you have to be aware of that. And I really focus on women telling women that every woman that I've ever met, and I, this is not sexist and it's not picking on anybody, nobody thinks it's going to happen to them, right? That's, that's a normal behavior. It's one of the most right? common oh, things that God, are reported Bob. by the women's violence centers, too. You know, that I didn't think this was going to happen to me. 15-year-old girl comes home with her mom and says, oh, my God, Mom, you're not going to believe it. Beverly was uh, raped yesterday. She was attacked in the park. Oh, my God, that's so sad. Well, wait a minute. So three out of four, two and a half out of four, whatever the numbers are, you know, <laughs> you're in the numbers somewhere. So a lot of women I talk to, I say, you know, the reason you don't do anything or the reason you're not prepared is your mind unconsciously is telling you you don't need to be prepared because so far, as of today, right now, it's happened to someone else. And I get a lot of women to come in for these women's self-defense seminars, and Steve, sadly, it is too late, right? They've already been attacked or yep. sexually abused, and that's why they're coming in as a reaffirmation for me to help them have a normal relationship and and. One of the things, the real reasons I wrote the book and I do this is uh, from studies and from interviews that I've done, I mean in the hundreds now, right? I can honestly say in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Not a lot of people can say that. Talk to somebody that's been attacked, that's been abused. They don't have a normal life. They don't have a normal life with a, a boss, a, 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 a boss who's a male. They don't have a normal sexual relationship with somebody. It's always pensive. It's not fulfilling. Um, I mean, not always, but, but a lot of times. And how do you get that back? You have to get yourself back. You have to believe in yourself, and you have to have the opportunity to be accepting of other people. So I can tell you, my training isn't just, hey, man, knee him in the groin and, and find an exit. In fact, kneeing him in the groin will just anger some people because there's padding in the front. I talk about a straight kick underneath in the middle. So... I really go into detail and get into people's minds about staying in the moment. You have to concentrate on what the task at hand is, just like military law enforcement I teach, right? You don't have the time to say, hmm, what can I do now? You have to feel it. You have to know. When the hairs on the back of your neck go up, women, the, the million-dollar question, Steve, you've gotten this as a martial artist when people come in for self-defense seminars well when do you punch the other person when do you hit when do you attack <laughs> you do it before they kill you you do it before they take your clothes off you do it before they grab you by the neck you have to know when the little hairs on the back of your neck go up and you can't escape you have to fight so if you can't escape you fight if you fight you win and there's no such thing in my seminars as round two whether it be military law enforcement or women's self-defense don't Scratch them in the face and then and then step back. That's round one. Maybe you got a little scratch in there, but I can tell you if the person's still standing and they're right there for round two, just like any professional fight, <laughs> your odds just went down considerably that you will win round two. So that's why I talk about finishing techniques. Get somebody to the ground, you know, impair their vision. Um, and that's quite honestly – what the book is about, very, very practical techniques. And then when you add the book to the personal training I do, and then you add the Mr. Mike hand spike on top of that, you've got a nice tool with some training that might keep you safe out there, you know? Well, you know where I'm going to go next with that then, right? Now we've got to talk about the Mr. Mike hand spike. <laughs> 
thought that was a nice segue, right? That was it a great segue. Yeah. So, uh, would you like me to talk about that? I mean, I'd love to. Your it's so, uh, your mic, sir. You got it. So, um, I uh, I've been training with edged weapons for a long time, fighting with a knife or any other edged weapon. I've had some great instruction on that. Um, I know how to handle a, 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 an edged weapon with both hands, and um, it's it's a big tool, right? When you talk about when I teach my seminars, this imaginary tool belt. Every time I teach, I learn something. I've got a grenade, I've got a rocket launcher, I get a chainsaw, I get a pickaxe, I get a mace, I get all these added things. And as I get older, wiser, <laughs> and certainly slower. I have all of these great tools, and I can pull them out when needed, and I can combine them together that help keep me safe. And my job, I think you know this, as a martial artist, we have a martial code that at, at a certain level, which I hope I'm at, it's my responsibility to protect those who I see that are in harm or protect those who are near me, right? Agreed. So, you know, don't mess with my girl, my daughter, my family, my parents, my friends, or my stuff, right? Um, but that goes a long way where if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody, it's, it's my obligation to uh, get involved. So, so I get all these tools on there, and I'm like, wow, you know, you can't always implement a four-inch, uh, you know, a spring-assisted uh, uh, serrated tanto blade in a situation. You, first of all, you can't carry that on an airplane or uh, in New Jersey or <laughs> On a train, for that matter, you know, it depends. So I came across this, these different designs, came across this one that I really loved, and I've talked to the original uh, originator of this, and it's an older guy retiring, and he's been wonderful enough to allow me to take the rights to it. And um, I've just uh, I've modified and, and added training to it rather than just having it, and I've rebranded it as the Mr. Mike Hand Spike, and it's on my website and, and on eBay, and uh, got my logo on there and it uh, goes on your fingers like brass knuckles but the only difference is it's legal because it's plastic it's a real hard plastic and it's sharp and it kind of looks like that you know that kitty cat everybody goes oh look how nice it looks like a kitty cat and i said yeah it looks like a kitty cat so it doesn't look menacing goes on your fingers you can put it on your keychain or have it on your hand without a keychain if you're a runner you walk the dog you take your trash out you're going on a vacation you're Walking in the woods, you're by yourself, and a lot of dog walkers use it, which helps separate two dogs instead of reaching your hand down. I have women that buy it who have newborns. They have it with their stroller in case a dog walks up or a stranger. They have the hand spike already on their hand, and I have tons of women in college that have it on their lanyard. And nurses or hospice nurses, a whole hospital bought them to have for their hospice nurses that go out and, you know, come and go at different times of the day or night from homes, from strange places. So it goes in your hand, super sharp, hard plastic, real light. And I'll tell you what, it, 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 if you implement this, um, it can do some real, real damage to, uh, you know, the soft tissue in the neck, corner of the mouth, corner of the nose, corner of the eye and the ear. And that takes the complexity out of the fight. That makes that person reach for their neck or their eye or their mouth or their nose, and they wonder why... You know, they've got a big gash in there. Now the interest has turned to their own injuries rather than taking your clothes off, taking your stuff, trying to throw you in a cart or abuse you, you know, sexually. 
And uh, literally, I've sold thousands. I mean, thousands. And I have a picture. I have, I've saved almost every picture of everybody that's ever bought one. And when I go do a, a market, I put that up on Facebook. So um, it works. I've got stories that people have told me about that have saved their life because of this. Um, and I certainly don't uh, want people to use it as a deterrent, where if you hold it up and somebody sees it, now they know that you have a weapon and they know what hand it's in and they know how to, if, they, if they're smart enough, they know how to attack that and alleviate it. You want to keep it as a surprise, right? We all want, that's how you win the fight, you keep it as a surprise. So if you held your hands up, let's say, in the surrender position, you can only see your palm, you can't see the spikes, and you can snap that and those spikes come across and they can do some real damage. So um, comes in six different colors. They're five bucks a piece. If you buy five, you get five for 20. I mean, it's a great deal. I, I, I'm not kidding, and I don't want to make too many people laugh. I hope there's some folks that are enjoying this uh, uh, this uh, episode today, but um, it makes a great stocking stuffer. And I have people buying it for their friends in offices or women that have um, salons and they give it to all their hairstylists or moms give it to their daughters um, or friends give it to their fellow uh, sorority housemates. So it's the Mr. Mike hand spike and it absolutely is a game changer. And it goes on your hand and when you have your keys on it, you can let go and you can kind of shake your hand and you can, it doesn't come off your hand. So you could have your phone in your hand. You could be carrying a bag, but it's already loaded. And you know and I know, you know, you, if you have a, a pepper spray on your keychain, you can't say, excuse me, strange person, give me a moment to render that out of my glove box or out of my purse. Mm -hmm. uh, but if your pepper spray is already in your hand and I sell one that you, you have, it, it straps to your hand, my hand spike is already between your fingers, right? It's a push push knife technology. You can't get it out of somebody's hand because they're making a fist, and if you go to grab it, it's going to pierce. It'll make two holes right through your hand. Now, I'll just say this very delicately, that you could put it in a book, and if it happened to go through an x-ray machine, it looks like a little kitty cat, um, uh, what do you call it? Bookmark. A bookmark. Exactly. So it uh, doesn't have a ring on it to make it FAA non-compliant. So it's plastic. So I'll leave it there. That be creative. And if you put it in a book, you can carry it in your attache. I've traveled with it, uh, Steve, successfully for four years now internationally, if, uh, if that gives up the hint. Um, just like anywhere nudge, else. Nudge. In high yep, just like in college and high school. You're not going to pull out and say, look what I have. Take this away from me. You have it discreetly in your pocket. You can walk in and out. It doesn't print and it doesn't uh, set off a, a metal detector because it's not metal. So, uh, worst case scenario, yeah, if they happen to take it, you can always get another one for five bucks. Let me tell you something. Just call me up. I'll send you another one for five bucks. You got it. Five American, you get it. Absolutely. So I appreciate that you've allowed me to talk about that because it really is a differentiator having that on your hand. I mean, listen, I'm licensed to carry a gun and an Act 235 lethal weapon agent for the state of PA, I've had that certificate in the past, and uh, I carry it. I carry it on my on my keychain, and I've got construction workers that that get it. Cause and I get people that want to take their daughters and their wife to Disney World, and they're like, "Wow, man, I'd like to have that on my hand." These these days, with road rage or on vacation, you do not know the intent of who's coming up to you to ask you something. And with this on your hand, let me tell you, it can do some serious damage. And uh, uh, my, my philosophy that a lot of people realize when they walk by and I say, you know, here, you know, could be great for your daughter, 
for a working woman or whatever, and they go, no, no, thanks, I don't need that. And I said, okay. I said, I just want to tell you one thing. And they go, what's that? I said, you can't use it if you don't have it. So there you go. Mm -hmm. If you don't have it, you can't use it, and it's just something nice. It's inexpensive. It's virtually indestructible, and uh, it's a great tool. I'm glad you shared that, all the information with us on that and all the different ways you can order it. That's great. You can do it on the website through PayPal. Uh, they can call you direct, and the number's on the website for that as well. So anything else you want to add to about the Mr. Mike Handspike? I do. You know, it's, it's really recommended that you check your own, your state uh, laws, your state laws about that. Some are draconian, and uh, some talk about, uh, you know, it's legal in the state because it's not metallic. If it's a brass knuckle, it's got to be metallic. Some states have composites. So this is a hard plastic, it is composite. So check your local state listing. Um, I'd hate to have you order it and get it and then not have something that's legal to carry. So please, uh, I just wanted to make that as a uh, disclaimer. Uh, take a look at your local state laws and uh, uh, buy accordingly. So thank you so much. That's a great piece of advice. Thank you. Great piece of advice. All right. So. We talked about the work that you've done for multiple different organizations. You talked about the self-defense books that you've written and are currently writing. We've talked about the Mr. Mike Hand Spike. Uh, I saw something else here in your bio that had me a little bit curious, so i got to ask about it. Um, you also serve on the board of directors for Awesome Heroes. So what is Awesome Heroes about? Well, interestingly enough, and I'll, I'll say this, sad or not sad, so I sit on a couple of boards. I was on the board of a organization that handled it, that, that helped un, uh, underserved men. Uh, and I'm no longer on that board. I've rotated off of that board and I'm on another board um, that uh, is a commerce-based board uh, for, for the United States and Israel. But I was on the board of, of, of uh, Awesome Heroes and, and um, the founder passed away a little less than two years ago and they've kind of put a hold on that. But let me tell you about that. I just... Uh, you know, and I, and I apologize, and I don't know if it's um, still active, but it was for uh, uh, helping anyone with PTSD. They had 18 mobile units around the country, and um, that was really helpful. And, you know, a lot of people think PTSD is, you know, doing its war in Iraq, coming back and not being able to acclimate, you know, what you saw, what you heard. And that's true. But uh, you, can, you can have PTSD after a horrific car accident. Uh, you can have PTSD after watching a loved one die. I mean, post-traumatic stress uh, uh, um, uh, sure. syndrome, is, is, yeah, is disorder, excuse me, is uh, uh, there's a lot of things that you can get from that. And, and so um, I was asked to serve on that board, and I did honorably uh, until our uh, fearless leader, Ron Bayless, um, uh, passed away. So they're kind of in a holding pattern now, Steve, but thank you for asking. So well, I always where, where tell I'm people, going you with know, that is how, do, yeah. how does your experience working with those with PTSD um, line up or mirror or have in common with your experience working with some of the other students you've had that have had different kind of challenges? How do you see those similar, different, et cetera? Well, you know, it's a great question, right? It's, it's somebody that is struggling with something, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, hey, man, there's 150 bucks for this two-hour session. I want to learn how to beat somebody up, right? That's not, that's not part of the equation for me. What attracts me is somebody that's struggling with something. Hey, I don't know where to get the answer. I'm afraid of this. And 
so again, I can just tell you that, you know, I don't have a degree in that. What I do have a degree in is martial arts, right? And I've done a lot of self-defense stuff, but I'm also a student of the game. And I also have had adversities in my life. Um, we all do, right? We all continue to have challenges. I just want to share, you know, my personal experience with these folks and come up with something creative. And it all comes down to the core of courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, indomitable spirit, right? That's our tenants. That was my tenants when I first started, right? Courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and indomitable spirit. So, boy, if you can factor all those into a lesson and not just stand there in June B and, you know, uh, and, and uh, 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 talk about that, but actually get into it, you know, and say, what do you fear? Well, I fear I wake up and sweat. Well, let me, you know, how are your hands? Are you clenching your hands? Somebody taught me a long time ago through a lot of different training. Keep your hands open when you're sleeping. Be conscious of your hands, whether they be under your head, under your body, cross your arms. When you have your hands open, the energy releases from your hands, from your heart, from your feet, from the top of your head, right? And so a lot of my students who are autistic or have other things, and I say to them, I look at them and say, wow, do you clench your fist when you're sleeping? The mom goes, yeah, she does, or they go, yeah, I do, or even if it's a grown man, I say, try to do that. So they become conscious of that. So that's just one little tip that helps people sleep better. Start breathing, right? I do a lot of breathing exercises, right? That's the number one thing. I've got a young lady right now that I'm working with, and it's a constant reminder, breathe, breathe, relax, breathe. It's okay. I'm on your team. So I teach a little bit of that, and then meditation. If you can teach somebody to meditate, to get out of what they're in and think of it differently, hopefully they can bite away at this. They can chew away at this and come out the other side with some hope, right, and some love and some compassion and some eagerness to change the way they look at something or the way they feel. And if I can change that a little bit, you and I talked before the session. If one person hears this, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter if it, if it helps everybody, that's great. But if one person says, wow, you know, I have not tried martial arts, that might be able to help me, or I've not tried to do this or that, that would be wonderful. That's the whole idea, right? That's why uh, that's why we're doing this right now. It's a service. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. It's really hard to change the entire world all at once. But if, if we can help one person at a time look at things a little bit differently and they can get something out of it that helps them, we've done our job. And I look at that every day when I'm teaching and every day when I'm in a class learning. If I can get one thing out of this that helps me, my day is successful. So I always looking for that one thing. Yeah, and and by the way, Steve, when somebody comes in, um, I can tell you the most important thing that I do, and they really love it. You know, and it's not it's not inexpensive training. I'll just tell you that it's all private. You know, one on one, or for women's self defense, it could be a small group or a big group, and that's public or private, depending on how many people that I can accommodate here. But I'll tell you what I do, man. I listen. I've not been a good listener over the years. I think I'm better now, but I listen and I sit and say, you know, why are you here? Well, I'm here because of blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, wait, that's not why you're here. That's what happened. That's not why you're here. So as I teach staying in the moment, okay, there's a great example. It's what is the outcome? What do we want the outcome of this situation to be? Well, I want to be safe, right? I don't want to get harmed. I want a promotion. I want my spouse to love me more. I want to be, I want people to like me. I want people to respect me. Okay, so that's an outcome. So let's reverse engineer. How do you get that outcome? You've got to stay in the moment. 
You've got to act accordingly. I, I do a lot of the four agreements. <laughs> you do your best every day. Don't take anything personal. Uh, don't make assumptions, right? You know, all those different things. So that's what it really comes down to. It comes down to staying in the moment, and it comes down to listening to these folks but asking them, what do you desire? Like my young little wonderful young lady desires people were picking on her, and she doesn't know the difference between right and wrong. You know, I mean, when I say right and wrong, I mean like people will call her names, and she'll be, okay, thanks, okay. We're touching her, you know, shoulder, pushing her. Oh, okay, great. She doesn't know that's that's bad, right? You, you need to go on the defensive and not have people push you around. So what's the outcome? I want to be happy, and I want to be normal. Mm-hmm. And if you're 12 right now and you're not happy and you get sick to your stomach because you're not happy because you have anxiety, I'm going to help you not get sick to your stomach and get rid of that anxiety. And you just reminded me of something, if I may share. Please. Something coming out in my new book, and I'm going to let it out here now. Um, and this has worked for multiple, multiple people. I can't tell you how many years ago, but one of my autistic students having, kept having temper tantrums and anxiety. And in a conversation, by the way, she stuttered a lot, stutters to this day. But I asked her what her favorite song was. And she told me this song, Under the Sea. And I said, can you sing it? And she sang it without one stutter. And I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You can sing and you don't stutter, but you can talk and you can't not stutter. She went, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, why don't you just sing from now on? Sing to me as you're talking to me. And I have videotape of her singing, Mr. Mike, I want to do this and I want to do that. And then she stops singing and it's, uh, 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 I, 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 I. And what I have determined over the years of a lot of these autistic, wonderful people is, they already have formulated the message. They have formulated the thought. They've formulated the answer, whether it be a number or an emotion. It's a wire that's crossed that just doesn't get it out to their tongue to be able to communicate it right. That's all it is. They're not going, uh, 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 meaning they can't understand the question or they don't know the answer. It's the delivery. Mm-hmm. So I don't let that, uh, 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 the stuttering get in my way. I already know. And I go, all right, I already know you know the answer. So let's go, spit it out, let's go. Let's find a way for you to deliver it. Pause for a second. Don't say anything. Get the answer in your head. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, and then they'll talk and they'll give it. So as opposed to you and I that have the stream of consciousness where that signal works from your brain to your tongue to form your mouth the right way to say the word, theirs doesn't. And and I'm not an expert, but I can tell you what I am an expert at is making that, is correcting that. <laughs> with with some examples. So here's what happened that was unbelievable, and I, I don't think I could top this, is I came in and I said, hello to this person, how are you? And we were talking, and she was stuttering and all that. And I said, well, what's going on? And she said, well, I was having a good night until my anxiety woke me up. And the way she said it was like, Someone had tapped her on the shoulder and woke her up. Not like you and I, you know, you wake up out of bad dream, you don't know what it was, whatever. This was hauntingly like someone was standing in her room and woke her up. And I said, oh, so anxiety woke you up. And she said, yes. And I said, that's not good. And she said, yeah, anxiety is not good. It always comes to me and makes me feel uncomfortable and I get sick and I don't know and I'm nervous and I, I have these tantrums and I have to put earphones on. I said, oh. Well, 
who is anxiety? Who is it? She said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's give it a name. So we literally gave anxiety a name. We gave her a name. So let's call her May or Alice, whatever you want to do it. And I said, okay, so now we have a name. So let's say Alice. Every time Alice rears her ugly head, every time you feel Alice talking to you, let's bring in the savior. Let's bring in the person. So who is it? Well, it could be Ariel from Mermaid, Little Mermaid. So every time that Alice comes in, we're going to think, we're going to conjure up Ariel, and Ariel's going to stomp on Alice and kick her out of the room and shut her out and put her in a box and not have her here anymore. And we worked on that, and let me tell you something. When that anxiety happens, they conjure, they, they actually give a name to anxiety so they can see it, feel it. It's a presence. They bring another presence in, which is their savior, their protector, and I do meditations like this. And they, bring, they envision that person, that name, and that name alleviates this other one, whether it kicks them in the teeth, puts them in a box, throws them out, shuts the door, turns the light off, whatever the acronym is to get rid of the one and bring in the other one. And, Steve, it works. It just works. And that's sometimes the hardest part is actually making that identification so you can do that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I didn't read that in the book. I just came up with it, and it seemed to be working. So I, I'm just really blessed that I have, have tried to do some creative things that seem to have been working for multiple people, you know? I'm absolutely thrilled that I got to do this interview because I'm hearing all these really cool stories and there's a whole bunch of really good information in there for people who are teaching and people who are trying to learn. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be uh, talking to you. Thank you so much. And we can blame AC Wiley for this. (laughs) You got it. We'll blame him. Now that you and I are friends, we don't have to talk to him that much. Wonderful. There you go. Yeah, shout out for AC. Shout out to AC. I call him (laughs) ACDC, by the way. There you go. Is is that because he's ADHD? (laughs) <laughs> no i just came up with that nickname when we were training so there you go he's a wonderful person great uh, family is. great guy great guy okay and thank so. him for connecting the two of us absolutely okay so we talked a whole bunch of really good stuff there you've worked a lot with the you know with people that have any kind of you know societal or social or you know psychological there's, there's a whole bunch of different stuff that fall into that ball game so you had a couple of the students that you've worked with that have had significant physical challenges, not just the, you know, the mental processing or the, you know, something's interfering between the message from the brain to the body or the brain to the mouth, but you've had some of them where they've actually had significant issues. So you had, you created the program for the rolling with the safe day. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, right? But I know it's not just the spina bifida that you've dealt with. So how else do you have you helped out for people who have those significant physical difficulties? Well, I mean, some of it's physical, whether you're in a wheelchair or not, or you, you can't see or whatever. I mean, you know, the mental part of it is, you know, tell me what's bothering you. Tell me what, what, what your limitations are. And as the ultimate optimist and martial artist and a guy that tries to stay in the moment, um, I try to help. So, I mean, the examples are varied and they're of all ages and, uh, you know, story after story and just just the rewarding part is hearing a woman say, Mike, I did your women's self-defense training eight years ago, and I was on a walkway along a river, and a guy was there and approached me, and I knew exactly what he was there for. He was there to attack me. 
And I went into staying in the moment mode immediately and protected myself and, and escaped without being raped, harmed, or killed. And I thank you, and I contribute my life. You saved my life. Uh, you can't get any more gratification than somebody like that. I don't even know how to handle that. What do you say? You're like, oh, uh, 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 you're welcome. You. I mean, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. So, so, you know, I have a lot of folks that are uh, training with me for different reasons. And I, you know, you can use the word handicap, but a while back we were talking about spina bifida. And I just say that it's people that are struggling with these different challenges every day. And, you know, I'm really grateful. I mean, I have some stuff going on in my life like everybody else does. But, man, you look at that, man, and you look at somebody who has to make a choice to get up every morning and say, I'm not going to – I don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm not normal. I don't like the way I feel. And they have to work – and instead of just giving up and going on meds and not – and just – you know, just surrendering. They are trying to make a difference, and their parents are are making a difference. I mean, you got to know, as a martial artist and, and a, at a high level, and I've been doing this a long time, and I'm very, very grateful for every instructor I've ever had. I have a very interesting lineage that just I can't be more grateful for. But, man, I didn't create any of this. I just learned a lot, and I try to continue. I'm just so grateful that to work with Folks like that, um, that puts you in a totally different space. As I get older, I get more emotional. And I'll just, and I hope some people that I know will laugh at this. You know, I'm watching the Hallmark Channel this week, you know, and people <laughs> are like, what? The other martial artists are laughing at me on there. I decorated my tree and I, I'm watching the Hallmark Channel. I just got done watching the notebook and they're like, what the heck? WTH, you know, Mr. Taz, Mr. Mike, you know, um, showed I soak and I'm like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's the human spirit. That's how I stay connected. Um, if I need to protect myself and uh, do what I got to do, I'll do that in a heartbeat. But uh, it feels so good to have uh, the human condition to be able to share with people, you know, and give somebody a coat if it's cold out. Uh, I was with my cousin the other day driving around, and she's like, you know, hey, I got hand warmers for people. And then we just happened to see somebody that gave some hand. She drives around with hand warmers. I mean, come on. It's, uh, she's not asking to, to get credit for that. I just happened to ask her why she had 20 hand warmers in her car, you know? And she said, ah, you know, I just feel like giving them out. It's cold out. So I think service is the biggest thing, and I think that makes the difference. And I hope, I hope, I hope that that uh, helps me along the way that my grandfather told me that be nice to everybody on the way up so they're nice to you on the way down. Oh, that's wonderful. And we all will be someday. That's awesome. I've never heard it put that way before. I've heard similar sayings, but I really like that one. So I wanted to hear it again. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Couldn't You're help welcome. myself. So <laughs> I have a I have a question, um, which is kind of in the vein of um, one of the hardest things that I've seen or helped had to help students develop. So there's a little story I've got to do beforehand. I'm going to try to make it brief because this this isn't about me. It's about you. But I wanted to give you the backstory of what generated well, sure. it. Sure. So. Please. So I we're recording this December 10th of 2017. Last night I had the privilege for being the master of ceremonies for the 200th promotion test for one of you know my my teacher's local taekwondo school. 
and I got to be master wow. of ceremonies. Normally, I, I do double duty on master of ceremonies, and I'm usually on the board, but we had like seven black belts yesterday, so I just got to do one. It was kind of cool. Um, mm. But we had an 11-year-old kid who was testing for his junior black belt, and this kid, he is there consistently. He's there all the time. He's got great technique. He's got great spirit. He really shows how much he cares and how much he wants it. And one of the black belts asked him why he did it. He told this wonderful story about how his dad got him started when he was younger because his dad had done a little bit. He taught him a little bit. And then he said, you know what, Dad, I want to find a place where I can do this and I can make this part of my life every day. And he's an 11-year-old kid who was talking about the importance of having something to help him focus <laughs> every day. It was beautiful. So when, wow. it, when it came to my turn to ask him a question, I asked him too. I said, okay, so I want you to tell me what you think your biggest skill or asset is and then I want you to think about what do I think your biggest skill and asset is and he thought about it for probably a good 30 seconds I mean this kid it amazed me how mature he is at 11 years old I've seen him come up for several years I teach there one day a week I don't see him every day but I hear from the other instructors pretty much every day that I'm there and this kid I hope he listens to this podcast I'm actually going to send him a link now that I thought I think about it when I'm doing this but um <laughs> What he, he thought about it for a few seconds, and he said, you know, I really think it's my pumseis, because pumseis is a Korean word for form, in case anybody's not familiar with the Korean terms. Um, so when he was doing his forms, I mean, it, technically, he's got all the moves in the right places. He's got power where he needs it. He's got the energy where he needs it. He's got the slow, controlled, heavy-duty movements where mm. he needs it. I mean, it's just really, really well done for even an adult, but he's 11, and he can pull this yeah. off. You know what I mean? It was really a joy to watch. Yeah. Um, and... He said, you know, I think it encapsulates everything. It's all my basics. It's, it's I got to make sure I watch my breathing. I got to make sure that I put the power where I need it. I got to make sure I relax. I got, I mean, it was just great, great the way he explained it. And he said, so that's what I think my best wow. asset is. And I said, okay, I completely understand where you're coming from, but I'm going to disagree with you. And he got this confused <laughs> look on his face for a split second. I said, your biggest asset, in my opinion, is the fact that you are coachable. It doesn't matter mm. if it's a white belt. If they're saying something like, you know, Javier, why are you, I just name dropped him, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, why are you doing it this way? He'll think about it and look at it and go, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to do it that way. That's why this kid's confused. And then he'll fix it so that the other kid can see what's going on. And it doesn't matter if it's a white belt or if it's one of the black belts that pulls him aside. I got to work with him Friday night on a couple of his self-defense movements. And on Saturday when he took his black belt test, he implemented every single correction that I gave him on Friday night. <laughs> wow. It, it blew me away. Wonder. So my yeah. question then, so now that's the backstory. The question is, yeah. how hard is it for you when you have a student who is just not coachable? So what tips or tricks can you give us that can help people learn to be more coachable? Well, that's a good question, right? And that's a, that's a struggle. Over the years, I had two schools. Lots of kids, and you know, and I know, you know. Hey, Mr. Mike, how old is my? Oh, I can't, we can't wait. We heard all about it. How old does my son or daughter have to be to, to come to, to see? Well, I usually start at about four or five. And you know what's funny? I've had kids that are three that were fantastic, and I had kids that were seven, and I just you know said to the parents, this 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 isn't. They're not there yet, you know. And and that has nothing to do with separation anxiety because that helps. So what do you do? I think the best thing to do is, and I call it, and I use my hands, the building blocks. And it's called the aha moment. And that's what I use. 
and, and it just happens to be something that I do because isn't that great? And I just use this as a personal experience where somebody's teaching you and you go, oh, my God, okay, I'm sitting through this class, oh, 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 and they're, they're saying, well, hold on, giving these four things, and it's not going to mean anything to you right now, but at some point I'm hoping you get the aha moment, and sure enough, you get to a certain spot to where you plugged all those in, they made sense, and you jumped from a one to a six, jumped ahead. So that's what I really try. So I don't try to do a little baby step and another little baby step, and you'll keep going on and on. I try to do pieces that may seem that aren't connected. They're little building blocks, and then at some point it brings it together. And that just happens to be a – I don't know where I got that, to be honest with you, but um, that, that's what I do. So, you know, when people are uncoachable – I mean, let's put it this way, and I'll be frank, because I think that's my reality base is, is if someone is non-teachable, meaning they're not interested in being taught, um, we will truncate the, uh, the lessons, and that's just a choice that I make, and, you know, I'll, it's a tough decision. But, um, but if it's somebody that has potential that's just not getting it, um, that's what I do. I do little building blocks. And then I repeat those little building blocks. And like I said, I'm not talking about really lesson one, then lesson one and a half, lesson two. I'm talking about three or four different components of things. And then I'll put them all together for somebody. And then what happens is they feel accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, give you another, I'll give you another one. I've had people that were uncoachable and untrainable. And I said, is he putting his uniform on the car? And they went, oh, oh yeah, we, we come right from when I went, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. No uniform dressing in the car. Also, no uniform wearing at a uh, supermarket, okay? It's not where it's at. It's not where, where your dough box is. It's not where your uniform goes, okay? Uniform should be folded. Belt should be, you know, never washed. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So my point is that um, I try to keep people on a strict adherence to tradition with that, where I want them to understand the building blocks, okay, where we're starting uh, with something very simple, and, and what, what they have to do is they have to understand that there are rules here for us to work with together, and, and those little building blocks together are, I think, what pieces this together that, that get them to the next point, you know, and then, and then I'll do those, and then they'll look at it, and they'll say, wow, I see that. I see that. So if somebody's not interested or not coachable, then, you know, uh, I, I have a serious discussion with the parents or, hey, you're not cut out for this. But folks that I think that um, may lack concentration or other things, that's where I come into play, where we start to do some attention drills and things like that. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of different tricks. Uh, or should I just say not tricks, but techniques and uh, things that I use over the years that I've learned or that I've seen. And one of the things I do is I like to share. Um, I'm sitting here in my office, and I'm looking at a big picture from my instructor, and it was kanji that was drawn by his instructor from China in front of me, and then he said, no, no, you can't have it now. I'm going to have it mounted for you. I said, no, 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 I don't want you to have to go. No, no. And it, it reads right to left in Chinese that says, you will 
share everything you ever learned with everyone who asked, period. No secret technique. I learned from this guy, can't teach it, can't show you, Dimock, this secret, whatever. That's not what it's about for me. I made it, I took an oath with him that I would pass along and share everything that was taught to me. And by the way, what good is it if it was taught to you and you can't teach anybody else? If you're an instructor, if you're not an instructor, maybe it's different. If you're on an island by yourself and you have to fight, you know, four gorillas um, Mm -hmm. and it's just you and them, okay, that's different. But if you're a teacher and you claim, you exclaim to be a teacher and that's what you want to do, I believe you take an oath to share everything that was ever shared with you. And that's but my only qualifier I will put on that is that if that person gives you the idea that they're going to use it for the wrong purposes, then that's a different ballgame. But that's that's not the people who are there. Oh, that's not the people that are there to learn in the first place. So, I have I have I have um, uh, graciously declined many lessons uh, over the years with a lot of people that that did that. Hey, I have a gr- I have a grudge with this guy. I need to kick his ass. Blah blah blah. Excuse me. Uh, pardon my French. Whatever. Hey man, came to the wrong place. Um, now that's totally different if somebody is harassing somebody else. I've, I've done a lot of work with private investigators and with different situations where somebody's being bullied or harassed. That's different. If it's a situation of known self-protection and they feel that they're in grave bodily yeah, that, harm. Yeah, that's self-protection. That's not using it for the wrong reasons. That's completely agree with all you All day that. long. I, yep, I teach people all day long, but not if they just want to go out and be a tough guy or, uh, you know, that, that's not it's not part of my curriculum. Yep. So uh, just because I happen to be talking uh, y- yesterday, you know, segueing again, yesterday was the Taekwondo exam. So um, I heard you use quite a few Korean terms already, and I believe that the system name you have is also Korean in origin, correct? Yes, that was the original name, Honhabdo, that he gave it, which in Korean means blending of the arts. But what he only spoke Korean um, in the dojo uh, the dojang, if you will, when learning the techniques. So, you know, attention, uh, you know, junbi, chariot, kinye, kamsamida, chomineo, all of those things. So, I still kind of today use those in instruction. And it's great to teach somebody a different language when they're five years old or 10 years old, you know, especially somebody with autism. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. Somebody that's 12 years old that's having struggling with this, and now they're like, wow. Mike, Mr. Mike's teaching me how to speak Korean or some Chinese words or Korean words or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I still do that to this day. So do you use any variant of, like, the, the WTF ranking system? That's a World Taekwondo Federation, not Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> um, um. I, 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 I do not. This is really crazy. So uh, it's not controversial because it can't be because it's my stuff mm-hmm. is I have ten forms. Five of them are originated from Hon Habdo, which is a Korean style, but they are not Korean forms. Uh, they are they just have different elements of it. They're fighting forms. They're literally forms of basic form one, two, three, four, and five, advanced form one and advanced form two. And when you look at them, and my kids have done them in tournaments, people are like, what the heck was that? The guy's throwing a front jab, rear jab, hook, hook, uppercut, advanced, and, and elbow advancing forward. Wow, that looks like a bar fight. No, that looks like when somebody's trying to grab you by the neck and you're doing an outward block to trap their hand and you're punching them in the face with your right hand, left hand, 
hooking to the jaw, hooking to the jaw, and the elbow into number five on their chin and knocking them out and stepping back into ready position. That's what that is. So that's Hone Hop Do five uh, forms plus the other two advanced one and advanced two. That's seven. And then, believe it or not, Hay on one and Hay on two are a part of that, which, wow, there you go. There's a couple. There's an interesting Shotokan mix in there, right? Some hard style, just some stuff that, that makes sense. And then Cezanne that was taught to me is, is also a prerequisite. You know, and then I have a million different prerequisites as far as the grappling and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is concerned for um, different techniques and control. Um, and so is baton and handcuffing and OC spray and weapon retention and holster draw, right? And edge weapons. And I use a clock method that I kind of developed in uh, for edge weapons. So I have a loaded a bunch of stuff in my curriculum that goes that, – that's that's kind of well-rounded, if you will. So how many, how many levels do you have between white and black? Nine cues. So nine plus black? So, so we have nine cues, yeah, and, you know, don't be a hater, but, yeah, we have white, yellow, orange, uh, uh, white, yellow, orange, green, blue, purple, red, brown, black. There's three browns, including zero. You know, brown is just a brown belt. Then you have brown one, brown two, brown three. Let me tell you, that's a that's a big chunk of your life being at a brown belt for uh, a couple of years. That's a, that's that's humility. And then once you are a third stripe brown belt, believe it or not, you are called a black belt candidate. And the minimum requirement for that is six months. I don't care if you're a phenomenon; it's six months. That was taught to me as patience. And then you you would test for your black belt. When you get your black belt, doesn't have a stripe on it, obviously. So. Um, and then you go for your first, second, third, you know, whatever. So if I there. counted that so, right, including the three levels of brown, that sounds like 12 levels. 12 levels, right. Nine cues, I just call them different colors, but yes. So okay. 12, 12 so levels. I'm glad I got and the, I got the number right. <laughs> so yeah. I, I've asked this, or not have it, I brought this uh, information up on a couple of different uh, interviews so far um, because it got generated by another question somebody else asked at one point, which was, you know, how long does it take the average person to make black belt? Of course, the answer yeah, for anybody who's been my, around. I can give you my answer that you're not that, that you're going to like that a lot of people aren't going to like. Let me guess: the average, average people don't make black belt. That's exactly right. And uh, and the other thing is, if you look at just the people that have gone through it from you know six years old, whatever, it's about six years. Okay, so I did the math on this, and the industry yeah. the industry published statistics. You know, black belts mentioned it a couple times in Black Belt Magazine and a couple other magazines and stuff like that. The industry statistics say that we lose 50% of enrollment every level. So that yeah. means with a 12-level system, from white belt to black belt, that's one out of every 1,025 people that start that make black belt. Well, that's interesting because I've had, you know, obviously had them go through my system. What's really interesting now is um, I don't bring people on based on the rank. I mean, that I'm going to rank them. What they do is they come to me for special instruction, whether it be a 50-year-old guy or a 20-year-old woman or a 30-year-old nurse or whoever, and they start with me, and then as I take them through this, they end up saying, wow, I, is there, can I get ranked in this? And I went, absolutely. So believe it or not, my young autistic private student right now who's 12, who's got autism, and she's the best person in the whole world didn't start out that way but guess what man when she got her belt it changed everything and 
she forgot her belt the other night, and that didn't go well. Uh-huh. And I looked at mom and her and said, you can talk amongst yourself whose fault it is. I don't want to be part of that discussion. All I want to know is why do you not have it with you? That's all. It's accountability. Why do you not have it with you? I don't care who forgot it, but what I know is not going to happen is you're never going to forget it again. Mm-hmm. But we want the lesson to proceed, right? And they went, yes. And they were wonderful, and they're wonderful people. But that's isn't that part of it, right? It's part of the responsibility of yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's the, not, well, you know, even, even the ranking system, it's not about the belt. It's about what you learned and how you grew to achieve that level. Yeah, and I watched her roll up her belt now. I didn't tell her. You know, I always folded mine, right? Probably like you. You know, you fold it what, twice, right? So it's folded in half and folded in half. All my belts here, you know, just like you would display them. They're all folded and folded. Yeah, I've got um, one that made is, me roll it, but yes, for the most part, they're folded. Yeah, she's just rolling it. and she She's just rolling it. I never taught her that. But I can tell you what she did differently. And like I said, she's slightly on the autistic scale on the spectrum. Is, um, I taught her how to tie her belt. And... She's been tired of belts since lesson one, and you want to. I know I can make you laugh, Steve. I've had yellow belts that were in year two. I'm walking over; they're coming into class. You know, whether they're eight years old or ten years old, I'm like, "Who tied your belt?" I did. Well, that's not how you tie your belt. I mean, do we have to go over this again? Tying your belt is a, That's an intro. That's the start of it. That's 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 tying your belt. That's not lesson one. That's before lesson one. Yeah, I've, I've, I've sat on boards it, where people were testing for black belt and stopped the test and told the guys who were testing, you guys need to turn around and, and tie your belt correctly. You're not testing for black belt in front of me with a uniform out of place. That doesn't work. That's part of that's part of showing respect. I've seen it all, higher level belts that are um, one tail is longer than the other one. And I don't know about you, but it just, I don't know. It drives me freaks nuts. me out. freaks me out. And when I... And I don't do a lot of the classes now because it's all private, but I can tell you this. When I reprimand somebody, that the whole class turns around the other way because it's none of their business. And, of course, they're listening, but they're, they're not watching. It's not part of their business. And no one ever, just like how I had it when I tested, no one ever watches my test. So whether it be at my home now in my private dojo, which I have a beautiful – I have a third story. It's my basement. is my dojo where – but when I had my studios, we always it was kind of a, a thing that I learned from my lineage. We always put up brown paper and taped it and, and put pins in, and none of the parents were allowed in the room, and nobody watched because no one's there because they need to pay attention to me and what's going on so that they can pass this test. And, by the way, when, when my testing, and I, if we have time, a quick story, sure. and this may be also controversial, but that's okay because it's me, is <laughs> – when I said testing was at 5 o'clock, it wasn't at 4.59, and it wasn't at 5.03. It was at 5. It starts at 5. So uh, I got there at 3.30, right, to clean the dojo and get ready and put all the things together. So I'm there at 5 for you. So I have this one that was in a, a, a studio that I had on the second floor in this health club. And, this, you know, I've got about 25 kids testing, you know, from, from yellow and a couple greens and a couple purples and uh, possibly a brown, but I separated them out because they were much longer tests than the black belt. It's now two days. You know, it's, it's totally different. So it's 5 o'clock, and I lock the door, and we have all the paper, and I've got about 20 kids in there. And 5.01, 5 5.02, bang, bang, bang on the door. And I continue, 5.03, bam, bam, bam. 
504-505. Bang, bang, bang. And I've got, you know, 15 parents sitting out there, and I'm, whoa. Now it's distracting and all that. I said, all right, everybody, turn around, take a knee, turn around. I open the door. There's this guy and his kid and his son. He says, I can't believe you, blah, blah, blah. You wouldn't. And the guy is throwing obscenities and yelling at me in front of the other parents. It's a true story. True story. They're all true. And I looked at him and I said, wow, can't believe that just came out of your mouth. I said, well, your son is no longer my student, and you are no longer the father of a student of mine. So what I'd like you to do is you're going to leave now. I'm going to continue with my test. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to explain to your son why he's no longer a student, because it had nothing to do with me. I told you that the test was at 5. You weren't here at 5. That's no respect for me. It's no respect for your son. You didn't call me, tell me that you were in traffic or that somebody was sick. You, you know, there's lines of communication that you can call. And there's if you communicate with me, we can make special exceptions. But right. there wasn't. It's, all, it's the respective communication. And you've been chronically late. And by the way, and I said, you know, you cursed at me to use this. And I said, well, let me tell you something. Your son is 11. He doesn't have a mortgage. And he doesn't have a cell phone. And he doesn't have a car. And you have all of those three things. So this is on you and not him. But he's no longer a student because I choose not to have you as a parent of a student. And that's for you to talk to your son on the way home. And I closed the door. And I'll tell you what. We went back to the test. It was another hour and something long. And I came out and all the parents were saying I, they've never seen anything like that in their life. And they were all absolutely understood where I'm coming from. And they're like, hey, man, you're here for our kids. You're never late. And you're, you know, you're, you're, you're early. You know, you have to be early. You're running a karate studio. You've got kids coming. You have to be early. I'm early to clean. I clean afterwards. By the way, I had all my, my students clean my dojo, right? Mm -hmm. That's a sign of respect, and it's a character-building experience, right? Yep. I do it with them. And now that I've got my private studio, I clean for some of them. But a lot of them cleaned with me, and I taught them how to clean. And that, doesn't that go along with uh, cleaning your room and your car and you're making your bed? All those things. So anyway, that happened a long time ago, but I never forgot it, and a lot of parents never forgot it. And, uh, you know, I got 100% compliance on that after that. And, uh, you know, you don't need to yell and scream at me. Had you called me or texted me or left me a message, you were going to be a little late. I would have been you would have, you would have set my expectation level properly and then we would have been good to go but you didn't and therefore and by the way it was time for that occurrence you know so just a practical story from the years gone by makes sense to me yeah <laughs> all right so our guest today has been Shodai Soki Mike Andrus we call him Mr Mike and that is his preferred way to be addressed I am so thankful we got a chance to talk today, sir. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day for us. I'm hoping everybody enjoys this podcast. What I'd like to do is, uh, as we wrap up here, what message would you, would you like to send out to our listeners across the globe? Well, Steve, thank you, by the way. I'm honored and humbled to be on today. I really appreciate it. Uh, God bless you and all the listeners. Um, you know, my message is twofold, really. I think that with the state of affairs today, the way the world is, um, we need more compassion, we need more intelligence, we need more camaraderie. Um, 
And so, you know, as far as the world is concerned with all the terrorism and all these other things, we as martial artists have a, an oath that we took. It's a, it's a martial oath that we, that we will protect ourselves, but I would, I would ask the martial artists around the world to also see something, say something, and see something, say something, do something, help someone, whether it's walking across the street or assist, just go outside your comfort zone and help people. Um, you know, and that, that's a sign of humility. Uh, don't ask to be rewarded. Just do things out of the goodness of your heart. Um, lead from the front, right? Lead as an example. Um, I would say that. And number two, you know, we talked a little bit, but the message is, and we talked and you hit a nerve with that, is so much of the martial arts world now is competitive is great. Uh, I'm better than you and I'll show you why. And I get in the ring, and I, you know, and you're judged and you know, there's sport karate in reality. I happen to be a reality-based martial artist for all the stuff I do. Not to say that I haven't competed before or support people that compete, but I, I'm reality-based. I see a lot of people in this industry um, uh, really uh, badmouth other people uh, for their style or they don't know this and don't know that. You know, until you know someone and until you train somebody, keep your mouth shut and keep your opinion to yourself. Um, you know, everybody has an opinion and you can do whatever you want, but, you know, until you personally talk to somebody or seen video of them or train with them, uh, don't be predisposed and don't be prejudiced, uh, uh, about that person. So, you know, just do the right thing. And if you're interested in someone, talk to them, give them a call, take a look at the videos or train with them. And then you can assess. Uh, their abilities. And, and again, I go back to the statement I made when we first started, take what you like and don't take what you don't like. And I'll leave it there. That's awesome. Thank you so much, sir. So one, one last thing before we go, uh, it's hashtag plug your stuff time. So if people want to get a hold of you after listening to this episode, how are they going to find you? Where's your stuff? All that good stuff. Well, again, thanks so much for the ability to do that. So uh, my website is www staystudios.com or www.youstaysafe.com. The letter U, S-T-A-Y-S-A-F-E, youstaysafe.com. That's my website. My book can be found on Amazon. You can type in um, Staying in the Moment, uh, a women's guide, a practical guide to women's self-defense. So you can go on Amazon and Google uh, or, you know, a search for me, This uh, uh, search for Mike, Michael Andrus. A-N-D-R-U-S, staying in the moment. And my hand spike, the Mr. Mike hand spike is on eBay. And you can type in Mr. M-R period M-I-K-E hand spike, H-A-N-D-S-P-I-K-E, Mr. Mike hand spike, and that should come up. Or you can go to my website, and you can also buy it through my website. So I very much appreciate that. www.youstaysafe.com is my website, and I want everyone to have a wonderful holiday. And again, Steve, I'm humbled and honored to be your guest today. Thank you so much. Uh, just to be on the cheating side here, I'm going to go ahead and put all those links in our podcast uh, little description area. So if you're looking at this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google, or Google Play, it may not show up. If you're on our website, which is artistofmotion.com, when you see his episode pop up in there and you select his in the description, we're going to have all of his links in there as well. And I just thought of one final question for you, sir. If I buy a book, can I get it autographed? You sure can. Absolutely. Now, they're not all, you, 
I'll, I'll, I'll personally autograph one for you, and I carry a lot of books around with me. But, yeah, absolutely, I'll send you one, Steve. You got it. Awesome. Done deal. Thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciated talking to you. I hope we get to do a version two at some point. My pleasure. God bless. Uts. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, sir. You as well. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. That was a great dialogue there with Mr. Mike, a.k.a. Taz. If you're in the area, look him up and get a hold of him, even if it's just for linking up to go grab food or a beverage. Whenever I get out to the east coast of the USA, I'll be doing so myself. And we got to blame AC once again. It is his fault for introducing us. So check out the links in the podcast for his products and his contact info. All right, let me see what's next. Ah, yes, my guest for lucky episode number seven is the one and only Grandmaster Douglas Wong of White Lotus International Martial Arts Association. Grandmaster Wong and I chatted for a little over an hour. He's got a lot to say regarding the healing aspects of the arts that really aren't discussed or taught much these days. He studied with a 99th generation family acupuncture teacher, which is crazy. He's got a great facility in Southern California and he's been involved in movies and TV shows for years now. Hear all about it on episode number seven. All right, shameless self-promotion time. Find us at www.artistsofmotion.com. If you go to artistsofmotion.com slash iTunes, it'll take you to our iTunes page. If you go to artistsofmotion.com slash Google Play, it'll take you to our Google Play page. On Facebook at Artists of Motion, you can email pod at artistsofmotion.com and give us your thoughts. I think that's about it for this one. I'm Steve Zelazowski. Catch you next time on the Artists of Motion podcast.